In the digital reality, evolution over revolution prevails. The QA approaches and techniques that worked yesterday will fail you tomorrow. So free your mind. The automation cyborg has been sent back in time. TED Speaker Jonathan Wright's mission is to help you save the future from bad software. Hey, it's Jonathan Wright, and today I'm interviewing Maria. Uh, and it's going to be a really exciting conversation we're going to have around um, just the general where you start and how leadership is so important. So I'm going to pass it over to Maria for just a quick intro. Hello, Jonathan and everyone. I'm so glad to be here. Um, let me introduce myself. I'm Maria Hutsuk. I am QA lead in, uh, of B2B team in uh, Zatu in Berlin, Germany. Um, I'm glad to be here. Fantastic. Well, it's lovely to have you on. And I think this is you're probably the uh, the quickest guest I've ever had. We, we kind of put a post out uh, just yesterday and um, it was really exciting to see that you'd replied and, you know, look quickly looking at your profile. It's a perfect fit because, you know, one of the things that we're really looking to, to learn more about and our listeners to learn more about is the kind of the leadership aspect of the QA. And I think you've got a fantastic story to share, but I want to start the start off with you know how you started in QA and kind of where you went how you first got into QA after doing your your master's degree in computer software engineering um so basically i'm already eight years in software testing um i worked as QA and um i also was a team lead of QA team functional and people manager um in uh, 2012, um, I had mastered, I had a computer software, oh, sorry, <laughs> I had a master degree in computer software engineering and, um, I also started my career. Um, I got my first QA role in a project for, uh, state tech service of Ukraine in a outsourcing company called IPAM. Um, Basically, I got this role through the uh, internship program, which uh, IPAM suggests um, after like three months of courses, uh, I passed additional exams and I got this role. It was like really fantastic event for me. Um, during some time uh, working as QA in um, IPAM, I understood that I want to relocate to Europe. And it's the best, like when in 2000. 15, I moved to Germany. I started to work uh, as a first QA in uh, Chantal Group. And uh, my role uh, changed significantly during, I think, first year. I became a manager of uh, four employees. Um, those QAs were working uh, remotely for our company. Uh, it was really like magical transformation for me because uh, I need to switch my background from testing to management perspective. And after three years in Chantal Group, I switched to my current role in Zatu. Um, now I am a team lead of B2BKS team. Um, I'm responsible for defining the strategy and allocation key resources in uh, different projects that we have. 
That sounds uh, absolutely fascinating. And what I love about that story is that you came from an apprenticeship scheme. And I think this is, this is really important because so I've, I've just recently become a member of the British Computer Society Committee. And, you know, part of one of the, one of my tasks is inclusion and around how do we get younger people and apprenticeships to get to go into this industry. And I think, you know, when you come back from a technical kind of qualifications or even, you know, like, the, the level you've gone through to get your master's degree, you know, how many modules did you have when you was uh, at university that covered kind of quality or even prepared you for this kind of leadership and, and management skills? Um, regarding uh, QA uh, module, I had only one, like software testing. It was just half year during my five and half years of education. It was uh, not enough from my from my point of view. And actually, we did not have enough practical tasks. After this module, um, I was thinking that testing is not my area even. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm really thankful to uh, my first company where I worked because they suggested to me the internship program where I had a possibility to try uh, on practice how the testing is going, how test cases can be written. And at that point, I find out that it's really, like, really interesting for me. Absolutely. And I guess, you know, you, I, I was reading your blog, which is kind of your journey and some of your kind of life goals and of, of what you've wanted to achieve. Um, and, you know, one of them was around doing the ISTQB. So, you know, how did you find that kind of formalized uh, kind of approach to software testing? Is it, did you, do you, what kind of challenges did you have or what surprises did you, did you find for doing the course? Um, so to say the truth, like even uh, being eight years in testing, I did not pass yet any ASTQB certificate certification, um, unfortunately. But uh, I believe that it's really important to have this certificate or at least to know this um, glossary. Because uh, like we uh, in QA area, we need some... Um, some common understanding regarding what test case means, what the strategy means. Uh, at the moment, like I believe that it's uh, it's our common background, and basically, like list of paper with uh, that you pass certificate or not, it's something additional. The main thing what you can get by passing this is to gain knowledge, and I I really hope to pass it in next couple of months, and I advise to everyone. <laughs> and I think, you know, it is really important. It, you know, I remember starting my, my software testing career and, and wanted to do, and back in those days, it was ISEB. So it was a sl slightly different variation, but the same thing. And it was, I've actually was just messaging, uh, Lisa Crispin, who's, um, on the show in a couple of weeks and, um, it's really, you know, she was part of those kind of original standards with, with people like Rex Black, uh, and, you know, the people who we well know in the industry who've, who've kind of formalized that, that, that the, the certification process. Um, and, you know, I think it's interesting because obviously they're, you know, like you said, common languages that you can use, common terminology. Uh, you know, there's patterns, the design patterns in there. So, you know, whether or not that's, 
you know, using things like classification trees or, or whatever else it may you may use on your day-to-day testing job, that it's a very useful kind of formalized uh, approach to to testing, I suppose. So so that's ex- really exciting. So that apprenticeship that you kind of you started off, you know, I, uh, we were you, you mentioned about um, the technical writing. I noticed from your title, so. Uh, what was that like doing the kind of the the, the writing uh, of, of technical documentation? Um, yeah, my first uh, basically job was more technical writing rather than testing, but um, it was, uh, for example, like editing technical documentation uh, according to some ISO standard. Uh, we had some, I don't know. Uh, Rules, for example, how we manage tables, how we manage images, uh, how we structure uh, like different titles, different levels of titles, um, like I don't know different rules, how we start describing image. Um, it was really useful uh, for me experience because I can use gained knowledge even now uh, when I test some system and I read some uh, supported, supported documentation, I immediately notice those like mistakes in documentation. Of course, I can point you know, my team and improve this to, to be more professional. Um, it's really a great experience for me. <laughs> No, oh, I, 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 I love that. It's, it's kind of, um, I, it's one of the biggest things that I miss. And, uh, you know, in the, the, the prologue, um, I get interviewed by Ben, who's one of the founders. And we talk about some of the work that I did for, uh, for a, a German, uh, communication company. And what I loved when I was there was technical documentation. I thought it was an art, you know, that creating these requirements documents. I know things have changed and we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, documentation because you do, a lot of test strategy as part of your leadership. And, you know, there's always a question about, you know, how much is too much? And, you know, I think part of the definitely the Agile Manifesto and maybe the, inter- the the misinterpretation of the Agile Manifesto of working software over documentation is that actually we still value those things on the right-hand side, i.e. documentation. And we know that 70% of all, uh, you know, issues are found at the, re- you know, in requirements. So why don't we shift left and, and really focus a little bit more on requirements and get that right? And I think, you know, that's something we've kind of lost. I think it's it's something that I understand that, you know, these things like BDD uh, for behavior-driven development and, you know, Dan North is a good friend and, you know, I understand executable specifications and specification by example and GoCo and, you know, I, I've, I've met the guys. I understand where they're coming from and I think it's a great way, but there's no substitute to, you know, good documentation and you know i think it's great to know that you've kind of come from this background where you've understood the value of technical documentation and how important it is um do you know one of the things we did is uh we used to have a little tool which was it was back in the 90s at the time which nasa used and it used to go through and work out the ambiguity of a requirement so if it had words like should could would it would highlight those, give them a score and say, well, actually, you need to kind of clarify those in a little bit more detail. And, you know, your first role being, you know, state tax service, you know, it's pretty important that those things are right and they're, form- that they're document- documented correctly. Um, yeah, actually, you pointed one of rules, like which I also was trying to uh, follow, like, we were avoiding uh, 
like formulation, like uh, this module could do or would do. Uh, it gives some ad- additional um, mis- misunderstanding. Yeah, actually, mm-hmm. misunderstanding regarding what exactly would be done, or uh, we were avoiding, for example, the formulation that okay, the system should not do blah blah blah. Uh, actually, uh, the software documentation should just contain uh, what exactly system should do or is doing, uh, instead of uh, writing all uh, things which would not be done. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this sounds a bit interesting, but uh, yeah, like it's like rules in documentation. Um, well, um, based on this experience, I would say that. Um, uh, sometimes uh, some projects are over-documented and it's uh, becoming really complex to maintain this and keep it up to date. So, like, I'm personally uh, more, like, I like more the agile approach when we have product over-documentation. Uh, in my eyes, uh, we should have the really limited amount of documentation uh, which is necessary to the team. If you speak about the strategy, uh, the strategy can be not the document for 40 pages because it would be complex to maintain it. It can be even a mind map or it can be one page uh, and a spreadsheet regarding what has been tested. And that's it. <laughs> I, lo- I love that idea of, of just having... Um, it, it, in a in a mind map, you know, I, I I unfortunately I think you know probably the listeners are going to realise that I'm a, a bit of a, a model based testing fanboy in the sense of, you know, when I was out in Silicon Valley and the work that I've been doing is all around model based testing. So a model, you know, to me is the heart of everything, and 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 obviously now we're looking at things like robotic process automation, you know, it's either more important, you know, because that is also documenting the business process model of the application. Uh, and I think that's the question is, is what is too much? And what is, you know, maybe too little on the opposite side from a, you know, <clears throat> a kind of a good habits and a bad habits? Do you find that any of your team, especially in your current role, you know, do they put one line kind of, um, you know, it must do this or it should do that. Do you find that you have to, you spot things like that or do you find that they spend too much kind of giving, given when then kind of, you know, explaining the, the different personas, you know, detailing the data associated data sets, you know, how much do you, do you see on a day-to-day basis from a leadership and when do you usually have to step in to get involved? Um, you know, it's really good question. <laughs> um, well, um, in my eyes, uh, for example, when uh, when you switch to the leadership position, uh, you need to uh, empower your team. So you need to give them uh, the possibility to decide and take independent decision from you. Uh, of course, like you need to be a bit more humble and put your ego a bit outside and uh, provide the possibility to your subordinates. Um, to come with new ideas, uh, suggest own approaches how to test, uh, and of course, like you can, you can still support them and guide. Uh, in my eyes, uh, I I really like how OKRs are working, and we are currently using them in the team. Um, like 
In my eyes, like it works really good, uh, especially in my current role. We are defining the OKRs of the unit uh, of our team, uh, including developers, and this helps us uh, to focus as a group on something which is more important to all of us. And of course, this helps us to have prioritization. Let's say, like our first goal is this one, and everyone, developers and QAs, are in sync. They um, they do all the best to achieve those goals, and we know what is less important. So you've got, in a way, you're kind of moving into this this new realm of tribes and squads, which you know we, they talk about for for things like site reliability engineering and and some of the new methodologies around how teams really own what they're doing and what those objectives are and the mission and the and the vision of what you've got to do, and they also define from what it sounds like what you're describing what the the, the methodologies and the approaches and you know that the, the 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 direction and i know reading from your blog you mentioned about and there was a great example of of misalignment you know where potentially technologies change maybe approaches change and i know you had a personal goal around you know learning python but then you know the stack changes and then you're going to have to learn java so you know do you find that you're putting it back into the hands of your team to really own what they're doing and and how they deliver and you you just shaping and and helping facilitate that um yes like uh, basically uh, our our team and uh, Zato in general is um is switching to agile methodology we are not like 100% following the uh, uh, the methodology of spotify the stripes and squads but we try to be more agile uh, we believe that this would bring a big value and this would help each employee to be involved and take responsibility about own tasks. Um, if we speak about uh, exactly like the team where I work, uh, before the starting of quarter, we are gathering some you know, ideas from everyone uh, who wants to work on some nice things. Uh, and of course, uh, I'm trying personally to prioritize what would bring bigger value because, uh, of course, we have some improvements ideas from the team, but we also have some, uh, like backlog items or some projects which we need to work on. So this should be a balance between the initiatives of team and the, uh, initiatives which are necessary to perform the project. I am um, personally try to select the initiatives which would help to to be faster and perform better exactly for the uh, upcoming projects. Sure. So you're kind of you're kind of from a business value perspective, you're looking at capabilities that your team potentially need to build. And I know you mentioned, you know, the, that learning some test automation might be a personal goal, uh, but also your team might be doing it. So you gives you a, an opportunity to kind of understand the kind of struggles that they're going through, the kind of challenges that they're going through, 
uh, to build those kind of capabilities. And I think, you know, we've seen a big shift, especially from the, 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 the V model kind of waterfall days where we had center of excellence. So you had teams which were literally there to write test strategy documents to, you know, over engineer things. And now it's moved to this center of enablement, which is more around teams like your, your team. It sounds like from your team where you understand that you've got technical debt or technical challenges around capabilities that you want to improve and you're partly understanding what and road mapping those from like a um from a kind of a safe point of view so scaled agile you'd have this kind of portfolio level uh where you've got some kind of you know some themes and some goals of things that you want to achieve that will unlock you know further down the, the line when you realize you've got to go faster so you've got to have more regression so you've got to have a certain level of automation capabilities you know you might have you might be missing certain capabilities like you know data test data or something else and you know you need to be able to build these up but they're going to take time you know but it must be so challenging to kind of understand the deliverables of a project because you know you've mentioned about you know managing four or five different projects when you when you first moved to berlin and then you've obviously got the language gap as well with the you know learning german which must be incredibly challenging um and then you've got to kind of context switch between these different projects and different teams and different allocations how do you personally keep on top of all these different kind of challenges do you have your own kanban board or do you do you have your own mind map what what kind of techniques do you use to manage your workload um it's a good question actually uh for me personally i am trying to define i don't know the top two three goals on which um i am evolving and basically now like i want to evolve more into direction to become a speaker to become a blogger to share my knowledge maybe become a better facilitator of some meetings and uh like I know basically it's one huge my goal and direction where I go as personality. And secondary, I want to be a bit better in uh, technologies. So like, as you mentioned, um, I want to write my fast tests. Now, uh, like it would be like in Selenium, in Java. Um, like this is really like, let's say, techy approach to write automated tests. Uh, for example, in my previous job, we selected a bit another stack of technologies for test automation. At that moment, we had, uh, like, we, do, we did not have uh, some automation engineer in the team, and we selected the framework called Ghost Inspector. Basically, it's a ready framework where you can uh, manually select all steps. Um, you just need to write selectors of the UI elements uh, which can be identified by tests. And uh, like from that perspective, it's really easy test automation. It's more like manual <laughs> approach of test automation. But if you select such stack of technologies, afterwards you have really a lot of constraints how you would uh, use this automation. Uh, for example, like we had some challenges with integrating those automated tests to test trail. Uh, or we could not do the continuous delivery. We could not integrate them um, into Jenkins or some other thing. Um, like now, like my personal goal is to be a bit better with uh, like true test automation uh, with Java and Selenium uh, because this has much more 
like future and much more uh, possibilities. Of course, like at first, you need to uh, invest a lot of time in your framework uh, because you need to, you know, set up everything. You need like to write your first test. You need to spend, I don't know, several weeks or months, depending on your background. Um, but if you know this, if you have this on your project, it would be easier for you to use this. Um, you can easily define the continuous delivery pipeline. Uh, you can uh, better integrate this uh, together with developers um, when you would run it on which environment. Uh, so, like, it's both to my directions. Uh, at the moment, I don't have some special tool how I track my, I don't know, goals. It's not Kanban or, I don't know, some Trello board. Um, I just keep those two ideas in mind. And when I notice that I have some possibilities to achieve my goal, uh, then I use this possibility. <laughs> it's, it's that great idea of having downtime to kind of provide this kind of enablement. And I, I love it because it's a, it's a journey that everyone goes through. And, I, you know, I, what I find wonderful about the podcast and is, is just this idea of your experience, you know, is it's so it's, it's the challenges what everyone who's listening to has right now and the the community behind it that needs to be there to support it and those patterns you know they and it's so difficult because there's so much information out there there's so much information on going onto uh you know the websites you can go onto different uh forums you can read different tools and and see w which one's better than others and there's different conflicting viewpoints it's such a it's a minefield of, of of you know of scope and i think you know but at the end of the day we're still trying to di you know solve the same kind of problems and i, I you know i love how you said oh well you just, you just you know with selenium you're just looking at identifiers with the ghost inspector and you know and it's in that to me that's incredibly complex, you know. And you're actually, you know, going through something that's quite technical. I actually just got a text, uh, a tweet from from Paul Grossman, who's the uh, on Twitter known as the at the Dark Arts Wizard. Um, and you know, this guy loves regular expressions. He loves identif finding identifiers to, uh, you know, XPath locations, and you know, for more improved automation. And he, you know, I, I'd recommend checking out the the test project that I which is one of the things he's working on at the moment. Um, and, you know, but, you know, part of it is whatever pattern you're using, we're all still having the same kind of challenges. You know, we're still wanting to be able to do things continuously. We're wanting to do continuous testing. We're wanting to be able to build into Jenkins and allow, you know, uh, use the same tools and technology as our developers. You know, we want to be more lean. We want to reduce waste. We want to kind of help people, you know, uh, enable them to do what they want. And, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, you're six months in or, you know, you're, you know, 20 years in, it's, you still get these same challenges. I, I spent my uh, yesterday looking at um, something called the tick stack, which is a kind of a ability to, when you're running a, a JMeter script, is to be able to do the monitoring behind it to be able to look at, you know, disk space and CPU usage and all this other stuff for performance. And that's kind of, you know, it doesn't matter if it's JMeter or, you know, but it reports it into a into time series data database, something like InfluxDB, uh, and then it, you know I integrate that into Graftana so that my operational guys can actually see what's running, uh, how many users are running against that system, all in the same kind of stack as what 
the operations guys are using, what the devs are using. And, you know, it'd be so much easier if we just had a blueprint that someone could share. And I know we've got Iran, who's uh, he's one of the chief technology evangelists for Perfecto Mobile, who's coming on in a couple of weeks' time. And he's got a website which he set up, which has just blueprints for reusable continuous testing. So literally, here's a, you know, a, a, a seven steps you can do to run your Selenium scripts in Jenkins. Um, and I think things like that are going to be really helpful for the community to be able to share some of those patterns so that we're not all investing a huge amount of time to investigate these ourselves. Um, and also to kind of help educate people because I think there's just so much information out there and you know where do you start where where have you personally gone out and and found information about the kind of the challenges that you found in QA and testing yeah like it's really insightful idea because uh, actually VQAs like we need such kind of uh, uh, blogs or actually like basically more communities regarding uh, testing or test automation. Um, like uh, during our talk, you was mentioning about Lisa Crispy. And as I know, she's also contributing to the community called Test DevOps. Um, it's really grateful to me. Um, from time to time, I'm trying to read some uh, new posts uh, in this uh, blog or basically website. Um, I also really like her, uh, her book, uh, Agile Testing Condensed, in cooperation with Janet Gregory. It's also some kind of uh, basically a manifesto, QA manifesto regarding what activities has to be on the project, how the testing should be performed continuously on the Agile project. Because uh, basically, like, uh, we already moved from the old waterfall projects and uh, the old concepts which we all know sorry all know uh, they are not working anymore in agile and uh, yeah i think that we are in in the state when we already need to define all those standards and all those uh, i know activities which has to be done in a agile project Maybe like we as case we can can as volunteers contribute uh, to this. Suggest our you know open source uh, code, for example, or like even share our knowledges on blogs, uh, attend some conferences uh, to really uh, to don't invent same things in parallel and help each other. I think I think that's a brilliant idea, and I, I remember uh, working with Dorothy Graham uh, on a on a website which was called Test Automation Patterns, um, and the idea behind that were reusable patterns for each stage of the of the life cycle. So there was designing, plan stages, there was execution, there was reporting, there was results. Each one would be a reusable pattern that we could all kind of contribute to in a kind of a wiki landscape. And I know that's something it ran from uh, Perfecto has been trying trying to do as well but you know actually one of the things we're going to do with QA uh, with the QA lead is we're going to we're going to create a forum where we can you can ask people and share some of these kind of resources and one of the things I found really useful when I started out was um, the main tool that I was using was in, well I, when I started was XRunner and then it became WinRunner 
and Mercury Interactive had this amazing forum. And the, the, the best thing about the forum was they had even had gamification. It was the 90s. And, you know, you'd log in, you'd get a score for contributing, you get a score for helping somebody with a support ticket, you get a score for writing an article. And I think, you know, something like that where people can want to come back. And it used to be like SQA forums. That was brilliant. It had so much resource in it. But then, you know, part of it was it got out of date quickly. And, you know, you need people to moderate the content. You need to make sure that the, the stuff's there is up to date. And, you know, it's about, you know, the sharing. And, you know, you mentioned Lisa and, you know, I, I look back to the kind of the testing pyramid, that that you, you know, UI component, you know, that uh, service component. And, and then obviously people used to flip it on, on top of, uh, you know, upside down. You know, my friend Paul Gerald always used to do that. Um, and, you know, but part of it is patterns evolve over time, right? And But we need to be able to share those kind of experiences and we need to find a platform to do that um and i think that's a really good idea and there's a lot i think everyone's got to contribute can contribute to this and you know what i found fascinating from your blog was about the the okr which i've never heard of before which you know is this objects uh, objectives and key results framework which you you started to use what's the kind of pattern behind that and how have you applied that to kind of what you're doing at the moment um so um this uh, this talk basically uh, it was uh, suggested by John Dor uh, some time ago, and he described how he was applying this uh, in the book "Measure What Matters." Uh, in general, this means that you need to define some goals, um, and amount of those goals should be limited. Uh, for example, if you define OKRs of your company, then you need to have like up to five goals. But actually, if you have like more, more goals, then uh, you would have less results in each of them. If you would have like just one goal or two, uh, your company would bring some incredible results even into those two goals. Um, for example, uh, in the team level, uh, at this moment, we are also defining five goals, uh, but we uh, like put them into order of importance. For example, the first one is the the most important, and the five like is less important. Inside of one goal, we define some uh, key results which we want to achieve. Um, so, like OKRs in general, is a bit different. For example, from KPIs. In KPIs, you have to basically, um, you have some goal which you have to achieve. Uh, in OKRs, you have really, um, really ambitious goal. Uh, you're not supposed to achieve it. I mean, if you achieve it, it's great. But uh, if you achieve it by end of quarter, then it was not ambitious enough. Uh, in base case scenario, you need to achieve it for like, 70-80%, then it's a great defined goal. Um, basically, this um, like key result, this should contain some uh, metrics, like measured metrics. Um, if your team like is discussing, like regarding a uh, percentage of uh, how the team is confident in achieving some key result, then this means that you define the key result not in the proper way. Then it, it has some uh, some double meaning inside, or it did not have some digital evaluation. Um, 
sometimes it's impossible to define some good uh, good uh, key result and um, you should not wait and you you write it as you feel um so in our case like before starting of quarter like we define five objectives we put uh, like three five uh, key result in each objective and uh, we have some default confidence level uh, in most cases it's like zero uh, seven like seventy percent and during the quarter like we on weekly um, basis we review this confidence level uh, if we did something on top for the goal, of course, our confidence that we achieve this become, is becoming bigger and we can uh, check that, okay, we're becoming more confident that we would finish it by end of quarter. Um, so basically, this tool is more for alignment and focusing people rather than tracking, like in KPIs. Um, I think I think that's great. Really interesting because one of the things I miss massively is is big room planning. So when I used to do, um, we used to have quarterly steering meetings, and literally we'd get, I say, everyone uh, from the company, but we'd get the leadership from the, the company, which could be up to a hundred people. There'd be people from sales, the people from marketing. There'd be, you know, even you know the the people from the business, of, of course. Um, but you know, part of it would we we'd go through and we do kind of what you're talking about with this idea of uh initiatives that we could you know we could try and do for the quarter uh and i used to you know we used to have some we had the ropes on the side where we used to go you know what's the risk the opportunities you know uh where was surprises you know where we thought actually by bringing sales and marketing and and other people who we'd normally not work with on a day-to-day basis into a room together and really kind of no, anything goes just you know come up with whatever idea you've got in your head and then try and quantify qualify that as quickly as possible you know i love the idea of confidence you know it's one of the things i've always wanted to implement as a kpi or a cascading kpi is you know how confident are you and how how do you move that lever do you know you're doing something part of your your scrum of scrums or your product increment and you know you get this capability that you now feel more confident around your ability to do say for instance, continuous delivery over continuous deployment and you suddenly st- start that helps move the the confidence level of your overall capability of you know being able to deliver value into uh, to your customer and I, I think that is is really hard and i know one of the things with quality which is it'd be great to kind of get your viewpoint in your current role uh, you know the first episode when i was talking to Kay we talked about something like Netflix, right? You know, a streaming service. And, you know, you think about the perceived quality of, you know, it's buffering and people have to wait from a, from a, you know, a performance engineering perspective, you know, people just aren't tolerant of things like that. And in actual fact, it's typically not the service provider that that is actually having problems streaming. It's that might be their local network or, you know, their Wi-Fi or something else or someone's transferring some files or downloading another stream. You know, people just don't think about those kind of things from a customer perspective. And your job must be incredibly hard now for doing live streaming TV of how do you set the overall charter or the the overall quality manifesto of, well, what is good? Is it is it uptime? Is it the quality of the stream? How, how do you measure quality in your current role? 
Um, it's a really good question. <laughs> Actually, um, we don't have, we don't track some metrics regarding, um, uh, like how good or bad the software is now. Um, basically, like our job is to uh, deliver some, uh, stable and reliable TV service, uh, to end users. And we are, uh, following this goal. Um, some people may say, okay, television is not so a uh, critical domain. If you would compare television together with uh, rockets or together with medicine sector, of course, you would say, okay, in aviation or uh, spaceship, the, the price of mistake uh, is human lives. In TV, okay, player would be broken. But in fact, <laughs> yeah, in fact, like if you are a football fan and you are watching your, uh, like how your team uh, has a game with some competitor and let's say on the uh, penalty moment, the stream is stopped. It's, it's really, uh, it's really awful moment. <laughs> and for example, you can hear that your neighbors are screaming something and you don't know what's going on. Uh, that's why I believe that uh, TV is, is also really, really important sector and, um, and we need to have really reliable service. So like, of course, if you speak about TV, like, uh, the heart of, uh, of TV is of course live stream, like in traditional, uh, linear TV. But if you speak about Zatu, for example, we have some additional features of non-linear TV. So like our end users allow also are capable to pause the live stream or add recording in cloud or uh, locally. Um, they can uh, recall the show. Uh, so this allows some, uh, I know, additional possibilities to watch what you want, not what you are suggested at, the, at this moment. Um, so, like, if if I would measure the quality uh, of TV, of course, I would measure that those main key features are working, that they are stable and reliable. Um, like, as you know, I am also part of B2B team. So uh, basically as a tool, as a company, as TV platform, we have two directions where we work. From one side, we are working from for B2C, for end users, and from other, we are working to B2B. Uh, so we can uh, configure our platform to the needs of other business. We can brand it, uh, we can uh, set up exactly features which are necessary uh, exactly for another business. We can set up the channel lineup, what is necessary for this business. And uh, if I would speak about quality, not of the platform, but of B2B platform, uh, then I would say that uh, I would measure quality from perspective, um, how many, uh, if the features which are contractually agreed, if they are working properly, uh, if... Um, some specific B2B uh, customer has all uh, all features which they are requested or they have uh, some feature which 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 belongs to competitor if their logos and color schemes are used so this is a bit another direction but 
uh, we need to to make sure both i think and it's it's you know that that's highlighted quite a few interesting things you know you you mentioned about colors and saturation and and things like uh, quality and uh, and how that's how that's linked and i know obviously uh people like angie talk about at apple tools talk about visual testing which i know is a very big trend at the moment um but i find live stream is one of those kind of uh real challenging areas and i remember when i when i started off though back in the 90s there was a real audio used to do this this great great capability where you know the sample quality would drop based on the you know the the level of, of bandwidth you had and you know of course you know I'm, I'm sure things are extremely more complex now to deliver from a quality of service perspective but you know you mentioned about the kind of the pausing in in the middle of a match and and you know i think you know it is important i think it's important to brand and it's also important to the brand of those b2b's because you know one of the things i always find really interesting when i was when i was out working with with people at apple is you know apple don't have their own cloud you know we know google have a cloud we know microsoft have a cloud uh, we know that um uh, they don't and and so what happens when the app store goes down you know who who do they blame who do we blame and we blame apple right but we know <laughs> actually it's it's azure uh, and you know when a celebrity gets hacked and you know their pictures get off icloud you know who do we complain about apple but actually it's azure so you know it's really interesting of where does the book stop and who, what kind of brand damage can actually happen from um, you know, from the streaming. And I, I was working out in, in Australia for ABC, which is a, is a, is a broadcaster over in, in Australia. And it was really interesting because they use drones to, to, to do live streaming. So because Australia is a big place and they've not got a huge amount of camera crews, they encourage public live streaming of events. So anybody with a, a non-commercial drone can fly up in the air and live stream a football, tennis, whatever match, uh, straight to abc and then abc can put it onto one of those channels on one of those live streams and that's to me that's absolutely fascinating compared to you know the states where you know when i was working with hitachi we literally built things like drone interception and detection platforms to take out drones that were trying to uh you know film on uh, illegal footage off uh, an nba game or some big you know uh, super bowl match because they want to restrict the the streams because of course there's a, a value to that from advertising there's a value for for brand um so you know it's interesting culturally how things change from area to area and i guess from germany you know that live streaming what you provide and how you then brand it for other other uh, third parties is going to be you know is a really important aspect that you you provide, like you said, a reliable solution. And I think, you know, we talked to, I mentioned site reliability engineering a little bit, a couple of times, but, you know, do you think, you know, is that one of the things that are in your radar as far as how do we provide a more reliable solution? And is that a QA kind of a challenge or is that more around, you know, working as an organization to provide a better service to your customers end customers and your B2B customers? Um, yeah, like I would say that quality, it's not just the duty of QA engineers. Um, we as QAs, we need to uh, engage the whole team uh, to feel responsible regarding quality of our platform. Like, 
if I'm SQA, I'm testing TV solution, uh, there are a lot of the, a lot of components behind. And, uh, I would be not capable to test like exhaustively integration between all those components. Um, that's why like we as organization, we take care about stability of our platform, stability of our streams. Uh, we have a separate, for example, support team, which, which checks that, uh, um, each, each channel from 450 channels, what we have, or even more, uh, are stable, that there's no micro freezes, that there is uh, available audio and uh, video, um, that we can support all, all kinds of qualities what we have, like SD, HD, UHD, um, like only QA department cannot take all this responsibility. Um, That's a, actually, it, it, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> actually, you also mentioned about the streaming in Australia, and I really like uh, that also another people could contribute and uh, suggest their streams. I believe that uh, different countries have a lo- a different um, laws, actually. Uh, for example, we in B2B team, we have a branded solution for uh, businesses from Germany, Switzerland, Monaco, Ireland, uh, USA. And I would say that feature sets for those different brands is different. Because, uh, like, for example, in Germany, uh, there are, like, one limitation of content, content providers. We have some sets of contract agreements. And uh, in Switzerland, for example, the law is uh, more loyal for content providers and we can give much more possibilities to end user. Uh, so maybe because of that, uh, the uh, focus of testing and uh, can be different. Oh. And it's, so one of the, I remember being fascinated by one of my uh, good colleagues, uh, a guy called Dave Fox used to work for uh, BBC and he was one of the, the chief architects for the BBC iPlayer, which was a streaming service. Um, and it was really interesting because he, he was part of the team that was building it on, on Silverlight, which uh, was a Microsoft technology back in the day. And there was another team who was also building it on a, on a different technology. I don't know if it was Flash or some other kind of stack, which is the one that they ended up using uh, because it was more reliable and it was more scalable. And obviously it was important to be able to stream the content uh, on lots of different devices. And I think, you know, when I saw your profile for the first time, I was really excited about the kind of the hardware aspects of these things as well, because there's different, you know, form factors in the different boxes, in the different TiVo systems or whatever kind of receiver you're using or either the handset. So, you know, the, the, the introduction of 5G and the rollout for 5G, you know, the, all those kind of challenges suddenly add another layer of complexity. And we, we've got a couple of guests that are coming up. One of my, my good close friends, a guy called Todd DiCaprio, who used to work for a company or he was one of the founders of, of Shunra, which was a, a network virtualization company, which at the time when it was back in the 90s again, or the, the noughties, it was um, fascinating to show when people started implementing things what's like network virtualization, network function virtualization. So you could really think about, well, what is is it like for an end user walking down the street in Copenhagen 
with the 5G connection on this particular device watching one of your streams. Now, that's a really interesting challenge. It's something that I've done in the past with the smart city projects like uh, in Copenhagen. Um, but, you know, getting that to the end device and then understanding, well, what is that from a resource utilization? What's that looking like from a data battery kind of jet drain? Uh, and I know Perfecto will probably, and Iran will probably have some really interesting insight into that. Um, and we've also got another guy uh, from Microsoft who's going to be talking about Forza. Uh, and I, I remember speaking to Alan Page, who wrote the book on how Microsoft test. And I remember one of the great examples he used to talk to me about was, you know, it was great. They used to use the Microsoft operating mo- uh, mum to kind of understand what the individual Xboxes were doing. And they then understand from all that metrics that they gathered from the hardware that there was a frame rate drop when a particular type of car was going around a particular type of corner and it was spiking the CPU or there was spiking the GPU. And it was, you know, they would look to optimize the hardware on the the Xbox as well as the software patches to reduce that. And I also remember him talking to me about the fact that in certain countries, obviously having a overheated CPU is not good if the the ambient temperature is higher than somewhere else. So, you know, (laughs) you've got all these different, you know, different locations. You've got Germany, you know, you've got, you've just mentioned about Finland and all these different kind of end locations with all these different end devices in all these different languages. (laughs) Your job must be the most difficult job in the world. I don't know how you can do that. It's like, it's just such a great challenge. But, you know, at the same time, it's, I think that's what's so fantastic about quality is that you're part boldly going into somewhere that has to deal with something that is so many variables in it that, yes, you've said that it might not be mission critical, but in actual fact, it's as complicated, if not more complicated than, than launching a, a space shuttle. And I know when you replied to me originally, it was around uh, Elon Musk's you know spaceship that had crumpled overnight and you know part of it is his view was okay we'll just get some duct tape and fix it and we'll be good to go and you know he just iterated to mark two and you know he's going to launch it again but the reality behind that is it's you know it's hundreds of millions of r&d you know it's huge amounts of you know it's impact to your share price it's it's billions of pounds it's so challenging when you think about it as a global kind of uh, platform such as television that actually you know your kind of experience and 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 what you've learned is what why you know i think it's really good that you're wanting to get out and do public speaking. It's great that you're, um, you know, you're wanting to kind of do blogs and, and really help share some of those challenges that you've had. And, you know, I think as a, as a follow-up, we'll definitely have to introduce you to some of the, the, the other speakers or find yourself a mentor to kind of get some, do some public speaking and do some conference uh, events. Because I think you, it, you've got a really interesting story to tell. Uh, sorry, could you repeat? Because I could not hear the last maybe minute. <laughs> <laughs> no problems. I was just kind of saying that, um, you know, as a follow up to the the podcast, I'm I'm gonna I'll introduce you to a few people uh, like Lisa because Lisa does does mentoring as well to kind of give you an idea of some of the, um, you know, the 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 opportunities to go and speak because there's a lot in Europe as well. So you know, I know Swiss Testing Days is um, coming up soon, which is unfortunately named um and you know but there's there's lots of other opportunities in europe i think you know public speaking and being able to share that your uh your your 
adventure journey in this that that would be really really interesting also you know maybe if you've got a bit of time to to maybe do a a blog for the the qa lead as well that would be that'd be really good i would love to (laughs) really Fantastic. Well, I, I, we've we've gone massively over time. But is there anything you, before um, we leave where you'd like any big kind of tips that you'd want to give, or anything you'd like to kind of close off on? I know you did. You had the the best quote ever around. You know, everything is just a test around the Terry Pratchett stuff, and and you know, I, I love the idea of you know you don't have to test everything to destruction just to, to make sure it's right. You know, do you have any parting words of wisdom? Um, maybe um, I, I would I would like to finish our talk actually with words of uh, uh, of Stacy Kirk. Uh, she is uh, also like motivational speaker, and I've heard her speech on agile testing days. Um, so like I would tell that um, uh, you are not supposed to be a quality champion. You should to be a quality hero. The difference between the quality champion and quality hero is that champion is fighting for someone else's ideas and hero is fighting for own ideas. If you uh, truly believe that software should work uh, stable, reliable, uh, do all the best and everyone else would help you to be, uh, would join you, uh, would empower you, it's like in Marvel movies, like <laughs> heroes always find some people who help them. So like, um, be, be hero of quality. That's a, a fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Maria. That has been a wonderful podcast. And, you know, I'm, I'm definitely in for a franchise. I'm not sure about wearing a, a, a costume, but I know you mentioned <laughs> that uh, in your blog, your, your husband's been doing 3D printing, but maybe we can, we can print off some superhero, uh, and you can, you can paint them, uh, <laughs> once we go live. But thanks so much again. And, you know, um, I, I look forward to, to reading your next blogs. Um, thank you so much for this talk uh, and for inviting me. It was really a big pleasure to talk to you. Mm-hmm.